Hey, what's up, guys? Happy, happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend and you enjoyed the uh, Halloween holiday with your friends and or family. And it was a good one for you guys. I thought the Atlanta Braves were going to do it last night. Grand slam in the first inning. And then, boom, the wheels just completely fell off. And that series is going back to Houston. That's going to get interesting now. Because, uh, you know, Atlanta sports teams, uh, from what I've been told by locals here, some of you Atlanta friends can uh, can give me a little more information. But I've been told that there's, there's some uh, history of choking and letting the fans down here. I really thought this was in the back. But it's going back to Houston now for game six and game seven. That is going to get very interesting. But uh, we're not here to talk about baseball. We're here to talk about boxing. So let's get right into it, guys. Starting a couple minutes early, but that's okay. We got much to discuss. Hello again, fight fans, and welcome back to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode 288 for the week of November 6th. That's right. It is already November. We have two months left in this year. Uh, I can't believe the year is almost over. <clears throat> almost over. I thought at one point 2021 was never going to end. It just dragged on over the summer there. And here we are with a loaded November fight schedule. And uh, this week we're going to talk about all kinds of news, tons of news to catch up on. Uh, we had some uh, fun action in the ring last weekend, and then we got a big show to preview this weekend. So I got a bunch of stuff to cover guys. For those of you on the phones, we already got, wow, we already got like five calls. Um, wow. Okay. So you guys obviously want to talk about this stuff. Sit tight. Let me plow through this. Okay. Uh, jump off the phones for now. Jump back on later. Give me a good 30 minutes or so to get through all this. And we'll talk on the back end. All right. Cause like I said, we got much, much, much to cover. So this is TNC 288 for the week of November 6th. As always, guys, I remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to uh, to the Ring Digital YouTube channel where you're watching me live right there. I should mention, I'm your host, Michael Montero for the Ring Magazine, ringtv.com and the Ring Digital YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed, click that notification bell, and um, check out my audio pod, Montero Unboxing, The Neutral Corner. You can find me on podcast platforms around the world. Uh, make sure that you leave ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. It helps me out. This is a word-of-mouth podcast. We don't do uh, algorithm cheating here. We don't pay for play. We don't do uh, advertisements, right? So all this that we give you guys, all I ask in return, the fee, non-monetary, just spread the word, man. Share the show. Make sure that you're dropping ratings, reviews, and all of that, all right? It helps me out tremendously. So, again, we got much to cover. Um, I'm going to jump right in, man, because um, we got no time to waste. Let's jump right into these news and or notes. So we got a bunch, man. <sighs> some good, some bad, some in between. <laughs> Let's start off with some of the bad. Uh, you know, I hate to start off on a, a low note, but the show can only go up from there, right? All right, let's talk about Rally Romero real quick. I talked a little bit uh, on my channel Friday about this. And no, I was not wearing a nursing outfit for those of you who keep asking. It was the the lighting was weird and that made my shirt look funny. Anyway, uh, back in town now. I was out of town last weekend, back in town here in the studio. Uh, Rally Romero, sexual assault allegations. I don't need to bring up the details or the woman's name that brought it up. But now I believe it's up to like five women, more than five women have uh, said things on Twitter. It was one women, woman who really started it and then a bunch piled on. So as with these things, all things these days, 
there, there's two sides to it, you know, and people are kind of already choosing their side without even having the information. Some people are just saying, believe all women. Riley Romero is a shit bag. Other people are saying, well, why are these women talking now? Why didn't they call the police? Uh, why are they talking, you know, and he's about to get a seven figure payday on pay-per-view. Why are they doing it publicly instead of calling law enforcement? So there's already people split down the middle. Here's my thing. Everyone sit back, let the legal process pay out, uh, play out. Uh, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there. I said payouts. I meant to say playouts, but uh, considering the dollars involved, I think there might be some payouts here. Uh, that's usually how these things go. But for, for Raleigh Romero, he does deserve his day in court. And you know all the judgments and all that, everyone just needs to chill. And let's see how this thing plays out legally. As it comes to his fight, with Gervonta Davis, I'm actually quite surprised. I got to say, I thought that this was just going to go forward because that's what we've seen in recent years. I mean, Floyd Mayweather literally did jail time for domestic abuse and the Nevada authorities delayed the jail sentence so he could fight. I mean, that's how ass backwards the sport of boxing and really sports in general has been on this whole uh, issue in recent years, but now it's kind of the pendulum has swung and it's gone hardcore the other direction. And um, Romero's out, apparently. Now, this isn't official, but I think it was Chris Mannix who tweeted about it late last week, maybe over the weekend. I can't remember which day, saying that Showtime is seeking alternate opponents for Javante Davis on that upcoming pay-per-view shit show. Um, oh, did I say shit show? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, showcase. I mean, uh, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, so I, how are you going to find a replacement opponent at the level of Rally Romero, which is C plus level, maybe B minus C plus level fighter if we're being generous? Um, lost to Jackson Marinas last, last year, got the decision. You're going to find a guy at that level that can market and sell the fight as well as Raleigh can this late in the game. That, that's going to be tough, man. That's really going to be tough. It's going to be interesting to see what Showtime does. All right. Um, moving forward from there, let's talk about Clarissa Shields losing an MMA fight against Abigail Montes by split decision. It should have been a unanimous decision. You could argue Clarissa won the first round of the fight. Every round after that clearly was won by Montez. Not that she did a whole heck of a lot, but she did more than Shields. Uh, and, you know, some people on boxing Twitter that don't like Clarissa went all out, just, you know, beating the hell out of her the following day. And then there's the, the, the Clarissa cult who went all out defending her. So, um, you know, again, kind of split down the middle on that. Look, the way I look at it, does this affect her standing in boxing? Absolutely not. I don't think she should have ever done it. I don't, I don't see why she did this in the middle of her career. I ranted about this for probably 30 minutes on my show Friday, so I'm not going to go down that again. All I'll say is Clarissa had, and still I think does somewhat have, but not to the level she did before. I'll just say when Clarissa got out of the Olympics and was about to go pro, she really had opportunities to be an ambassador for women's boxing. And she still is to a large degree. Don't get me wrong, but she's ruffled a lot of feathers. She's burned a lot of bridges and she's just, just rubbed people the wrong way. I, I guess there's, there's no better way to put it. And she's going to have to do some cleanup now. Okay. I still think that despite the fact that there's no signature opponent for her yet between 154 and 168, where she fights, 
eventually down the line, there's a possible Savannah Marshall fight. That's that's a big fight, particularly if she's willing to travel to the UK. Uh, but she needs to build that fight. She could. Also, if she wants to move down to 147, and that'd be really, really, really difficult. But if she really thinks she could do it, you know, wouldn't compromise her health too much. There are some big fight opportunities for her there. But if I were Clarissa, I would just fight four or five times a year. I'd fight for short money because collectively it'll, it'll add up and just beat all these girls. Yes, there's only like 17 of them in one particular division. Beat all 17 of them. Just fight them all, beat them all, have all the damn titles at one time, and really set a precedent precedent that um, futures could be built off of, you know. And, and uh, she has, she still has that opportunity. So hopefully, she starts to kind of get it. But this whole MMA thing was her attitude was, well, boxing ain't doing nothing for me. Boxing's letting me down. Uh, I should be a superstar. I should be making millions and millions of dollars and headlining pay-per-views. Look at all the world titles I've won. There's so much delusion in that camp, and there's nobody around that's talking truth to her and explaining the business behind the business and how her, what, 12 world titles aren't even equivalent to one title in men's boxing when you think about it, with the level of competition she's faced. And I've broken down all these numbers before. Ain't going to do it again here. All I'm saying is if somebody would actually talk to her and bring her back down to earth, there's still some great opportunities for her in the boxing world. And this little dabble, this little experiment over in MMA really doesn't change that to me. If anything, it expanded her, uh, her, her base a little bit and got more people, more eyes on her. And maybe in the end, that's a good thing for her in her boxing career, you know, because people will look at it like, damn, she tried something. She went out there and tried something and props to her for that because a lot of people wouldn't do it. All right. So we'll find out what happens with her. Let's uh, uh, one more boxer behaving badly. Jose Uzcategui test positive for EPO. He's out of his November 13th fight with David Benavidez. Look, I always thought Uzcategui was overrated anyway. PBC tried to sell him as this killer, this avoided fighter that nobody wanted to face. Which elite level fighter has he beat? I know he beat Darrell, I think, once, and then Darrell beat him. And then there was the whole thing with the good job bunk, back to Clarissa Shields. Um, there was all that. But when Caleb Plant beat him, I think that's when a lot of people started talking. Man, this guy was great. He was really, really good. He's just not on that level to me. And I had zero interest in seeing him fight Benavidez anyway. I'd rather see Benavidez fight another top super middleweight. Uh, so I don't know who – I can't remember if they got a replacement for Benavidez yet or not, but he's still going to fight November 13th. Uh, we're going to talk about him more later in the show because he – I still don't know what to think about Benavidez uh, because potentially, you know, eye test-wise, he might be the best challenge, the top challenge for Canelo Alvarez at 168, even though he doesn't hold a title. But we don't know because he hasn't fought anybody. So we'll talk more about that later on. All right, let's talk about some fights coming together. Uh, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. I know, I know. Hold your excitement back. That is official for December 18th in Tampa, Florida. And I saw Jake Paul post something on, I think it was Instagram, uh, and I shared it. It was, And I think it was actually Frank Warren. I, I can't remember who, maybe it was Frank Warren, shared it on behalf of Jake Paul that said they're going to bring in Hasbullah to his camp, that little tiny little dude that some people think is just a kid. No, he's really like 18, 19 years old. He has a medical condition that makes him that tiny. Uh, and it affects his voice and his facial features, all of that. 
Uh, I can't remember the name of the condition. I don't ask me. I don't even think I could pronounce it. Anyway, sneaky genius marketing by Jake Paul. And look, do I do I really want to watch Jake Paul fight? Not necessarily. Am I interested in this fight? No. Um, do I rate Jake Paul on any top 10 list or even top 50 list in any division or anything like that? Of course not. Of course not. But I have to admit, there's a tiny little part of me that he's starting to win over because he really seems to understand how to manipulate media and use social media in particular, but all forms of media, specifically social media though, to his advantage. And it's something I think he learned from looking at Floyd Mayweather and even Donald Trump to a degree. I'm not talking politics here, guys. I just mean the individual and the way he uses media. And and people like that, okay? Uh, In a reality show sense, remember, Donald Trump was a reality TV show star. Floyd Mayweather, reality TV show star as well. He really built, in a big way, uh, these these preview shows that HBO used to do and now Showtime does. I can't remember. I think it's called All Access now. Floyd was kind of a pioneer in that regard, right? So guys like that, that kind of know how to use, I call it trash TV. It's called reality TV. Trust me, it's not reality. There's casting directors casting those shows, okay? It is scripted. But anyway, trash TV, social media, soap opera kind of stuff to manipulate fans and uh, monetize that shit and become wealthy. And Jake has learned how to do it. And he's learned how to do it in boxing. And he's going to fight Tommy Fury, a guy who's not very good, but has that last name, the heavyweight champ right now, Tyson Fury. Tommy Fury's a relative, very smart. And he does have somewhat of a boxing background. This is going to be the first guy with any semblance of a boxing background that Jake Paul is going to fight. So in that regard, it's interesting. And then him bringing on Hezbollah and all that just, again, shows he knows how to stay in the public eye. Didn't he retire for like five minutes and then he unretired? Like that right there was a masterful troll. So in that sense, Jake is kind of winning me over. He went at Clarissa pretty hard last week. That didn't look good, in my opinion. That wasn't a good look. And to be fair, Clarissa has been completely classless with the way she's talked about Jake. But Jake has returned suit, okay? Um, The thing is, he's getting clicks, and he's going to make a ton of money in this fight. Uh, hes I wonder what the betting line on that fight is going to be. That's going to be interesting. All right, uh, a week before that in Los Angeles, specifically Carson, California, which is a southern suburb of L.A., Nonito Donaire versus Raymart Gabayo at the Dignity Health Sports Park Depot, whatever center. You guys know what I'm talking about. The war grounds, the real war grounds. Or what, what is it that um, Showtime calls it? The, the punch bowl. Horrible name. It's the war ground. Stop calling it the punch bowl. Uh, that is a damn good fight. That's a quality matchup. Gabayo is uh, didn't look great in his last fight, but got to W, undefeated, young, hungry, all Filipino showdown. You got to love it. So uh, December's got a couple of, uh, I mean, obviously I'm way into that fight more than the Jake Paul fight, but there's a couple of interesting events. Uh, December 29 in Japan, Gennady Triple G Golovkin. Remember him? He is fighting Ryota Murata, and technically this is a unification fight. Uh, so... 
I, I actually think a lot of people, there's still a lot of people out there that think, oh, Triple G is just going to bulldoze Murata. I'm telling you guys right now, in terms of styles, in terms of where these two are at in their career, their, their physical athletic life, this is a very competitive fight. I'm telling you now, do not be surprised if there's a lot of two-way traffic and two-way action, particularly early on in this fight. Now, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Certainly wouldn't be the first time. But when's the last time Golovkin fought? Hasn't been very active recently. Um, he's definitely over the hill a little bit, past his best. I think we can all agree on that. And has been for uh, a couple, probably a few years now. And uh, Murata, it's not like Murata's a spring chicken, but I do think people underrate him a little bit. Uh, he has shown some substance right there. Um, inconsistent with his performance sometimes. I do think he fights down to the level of his opposition. I think he's going to be 100% up for this fight. And I'm telling you right now, this is going to be a close one. This is going to be competitive. I think it's going to be a very, very good fight. A lot of fun and a great way to close out the year. Uh, 2021, closing strong. We had a rough, rough stretch there over the summer, but we're closing pretty strong, man. All right. Let me browse the comments section real quick. I just want to make sure. Oh, Abraham Gonzalez from NewYorkFights.com on the chat. He says, yo, yo, I was one of the people on the phone. I'll call back. That's awesome, Abraham. I'm glad you're listening live, man. Got to meet Abraham a couple weeks ago here in Atlanta. He was here for the Herring Stevenson fight. Uh, it was great to meet him and uh, several of you guys who traveled out. It's a lot of fun. The rooftop bar that I chose had a private event. It was totally sold out. So we had to go somewhere else. So we were going to take a cool picture up on the rooftop. Didn't work out that way, but it was still pretty awesome. <clears throat> All right, let's see here. American boxing fan says, Raleigh isn't Floyd Mayweather. Yes. Duly noted. And I think that's also a good point. You know, you, that does bring me to a good point. Gervonta Davis has been involved in uh, sexual domestic violence incidents or accused of it, right? Sexual assault, things like that. Uh, he certainly has a record. He's been arrested and stuff. And Showtime has never had an issue with it. In fact, they've practically never mentioned it, right? Floyd Mayweather, of course, there's examples there. Adrian Browner, there's a million of them. Those guys move the needle to a certain extent and are the A side. Raleigh Romero doesn't. He's the B side. Uh, he really doesn't belong on pay-per-view. We all know that. I mean, to, just to start with. So the fact that they're kind of going after him, uh, or not going after him, but the fact that they're responding to this and actually going with a different opponent, possibly, again, this is all alleged. Nothing's official yet. It, it does go to show you that there is inconsistency and there, there is a bit of hypocrisy and that's just the way the world of entertainment works in boxing is sports entertainment. So, Oh, Isan on the chat. He says, uh, Isaac Cruz was announced as his replacement. Are you shitting me, dude? Give me a source on that. Cause I'll break it right here on the show. I'm going to Google it real quick. Wow. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Oh no. Okay. Sources, sources, Mr. Sources reporting this. Let's go guys. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. We'll we'll give cop a, a shout out here. I'm going to share my screen. We'll stay in the news and notes uh, real quick. For those of you on the call on the phones right now, 
I said earlier, please call back later because I got a lot to get through today. We're going to do calls at the back end of the show. Okay. So drop off the phone and call back later. Um, all right. Okay, here we go. I just wanted you guys to be able to see this. I'm sharing my screen here. This is uh, from COP. And this is a, this was over the weekend. Shit, I didn't even know. Uh, okay, so all this is saying, this is a show, uh, article from Mike Coppager from over the weekend saying that um, a spokesperson from Showtime declined to comment, but it looks like Rolando Romero is going to be replaced. And then down here, he says the front runner to replace him is Isaac Cruz, a 23-year-old Mexican, was considered for the Davis assignment before Romero was ultimately chosen. Of course, they're going to pluck a Mexican guy or an Eastern European just for the demographics. Uh, Cruz defeated former champion Francisco Vargas in June. Well, Mike, you might want to mention that Francisco Vargas is shot the shit. He was number 24 on ESPN's ranking of top 25 boxers under 25. Okay, so maybe it's Isaac Cruz, but not official yet. Doesn't look like it's official, but uh, okay. Let's see. We'll catch up in a little more chat, and then we will go. Well, Victor Bada in the chat has left about 8,000 comments saying Anthony Joshua is the greatest boxer ever. So you're either a troll or you're having a little fun. I don't know, but chill out, dude. He's a good heavyweight. And I do think a lot of Americans underrate him, but slow down, relax. We get some interesting people in the chat. Uh, Anthony in the chat asks, who saw the Jonah Sultan versus Carabao fight? Pretty good fight. Great performance by Sultan. Great performance. <clears throat> Torian says Davis was going to stop him anyway. That dude was cannon fodder. Yeah, true that. I would feel bad though if, let's say, let's just say, it turns out he's innocent in all this. And he lost out on this payday. Not that he deserved a payday or anything like that. I'm just saying um, that would suck. That would suck. Rich Lopez says, great fight. Sultan made a statement. I agree. Kouster says, Hezbollah versus Bobo. I gotta go for, Bo I'm gonna go with Bobo on that one, man. I'm gonna go with Bobo. Bobo's my dude. I, I roll with Bobo. Glenn says domestic violence is disgusting. I agree. I concur. Nacho says Mike, Dan Raphael and Mike Compager are reporting. All right. All right. Uh, Michael Mendiola in the chat says, I heard Cruz was a possibility. So, all right. It looks like a few of you guys, but again, I, I haven't seen anything that's official. Mandeli says, I hear Nico Ali is Muhammad Ali's grandson. Now there you go. That's hilarious. And true. If you haven't heard it yet. Mitch Pryor says, not guilty or not charged doesn't mean innocent. Absolutely, Mitch. Absolutely. But in this country, you are innocent until proven guilty. So it doesn't look good. Okay. If this many women are piling on, doesn't look good. And I, you know, I would I'd be surprised if nothing comes from this. But all I'm saying is we all need to let let this legal process play out. All right. Let me jump to let's do a fight review. And then we'll jump back to some comments. All right, much to discuss, guys. Uh, last Saturday, April, or October, I was about to say April, October 30th, uh, tough night for Puerto Rican boxers. Uh, sorry, Puerto Rican boxers. You guys had a rough one. I was trying to find the right sound effect. There it is. 
Yeah, there was it was a rough weekend for Puerto Rican boxers. Let's start uh, in New York, Madison Square Garden, Hulu Theater, top rank on ESPN. Jose Cepeda TKO one over Josue Vargas, a 23 year old Puerto Rican native out of the Bronx. These were junior welterweights, battle of southpaws, and it was to a certain extent L.A. versus New York, uh, Mexico versus Puerto Rico. Even though it was you know American versus American. Uh, but Vargas was the one who called out Zapata and talked a lot of trash and, and just kind of, you guys saw it the way in, he was just being nasty and ultimately he paid for it. And I like how Zapata handled his business here because he let his fighting do the talking and he just went out there and flattened this kid. It was a really impressive knockout. Um, just a very exciting, you know, conclusion to this card and left no doubts. And he's been on a good run. Let's talk about Zapata for a second, man. He's been on a good run since that loss to Ramirez, highly controversial loss to Ramirez, remember? Fought some good fighters. Now, has he fought pound-for-pound level talent or anything like that? No, but he's fought some good names. And and coming off that L, fighting fighting the names he's fought and performing the way he has, for the most part, it's impressive. And I think if anybody in that division has earned a title shot at the man, Josh Taylor, I think it's Jose Zapata. He's highly rated in multiple organizations, not just one, but several of them. Of course, Taylor has all the belts. So uh, this would be a, I think it'd be a fun fight. It's easy to do for top rank. They represent both of them. Um, they could do that fight overseas or do it here. And it'd be on, if it was here in the States, that's an ESPN main event. If it happens overseas, you know, in Taylor's home country, then you put it on ESPN Plus. You put it on the Plus. So either way, I think it's a profitable, good fight, and it'd be fun. Be fun to watch. Now I would favor Taylor, but I do think Zapata would give him a really tough, good fight. So I would love to see that matchup, uh, maybe early next year or something like that. If Taylor plans at, at staying at 140, which I hope he does for a little while, I really hope he stays there for a couple more fights and defends that undisputed crown a couple times before ultimately, of course, he's going to move up to 47. Also on this fight, uh, Jonas Sultan from the Philippines. Remember, he was a 115-pounder for most of his career, recently moved up to 118. So in that sense, he was the smaller guy in this fight. Went up against undefeated Puerto Rican Carlos Caraballo um, in a bantamweight fight. And I thought this was a close fight, a very good fight, lots of action both ways, but I thought the right man won. All three judges had this 94-93 for Sultan. First loss for Caraballo. And look, this was a step-up fight for him. And on paper, he was a he was a big favorite. I think he was 14-0 coming into this. And Sultan had taken a couple L's. He, had, he The thing with Sultan, he had traveled. He had fought in several different countries and was battle-tested. He got some good experience and uh, went in there and just did his thing, man. This was the performance of his career. This was the opportunity of his career. I mean, after taking some losses and stuff uh, before uh, fighting on this stage in, in the United States on a show like this, big deal. And, and man, did he take full advantage of that opportunity? If you haven't seen that fight, pull up the plus and watch that one. Uh, the main events over in an instant, but that co-main was, was good stuff, man. All right. Um, the zone last weekend, last Saturday, O2 arena, London, Chantel Cameron scores a unanimous decision or Chantel Cameron, Unanimous decision over Mary McGee unifies 
two of the 140 pound titles. This was basically a shutout. 10 rounds to zero, nine rounds to one. So Cameron really, really showed her level and separated herself in this fight. And then back here to the United States, Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, PBC on Showtime. And in the co-main statement performance from Jerron Boots Ennis, TKO one win over Thomas Delorme. Uh, Ennis, of course, fighting out of Philly, Philadelphia fighter. I think it's a no-brainer that PBC, if they're trying to lure him, now he hasn't technically signed with them yet, right? As far as I know, He's fought on a couple of their cards, but he's still a promotional free agent, as I understand it. If they really, really want to get him signed and make him a PBC guy, make that fight with Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia is a fellow Philly fighter, has a name, smaller guy. He's a natural 140, never been an elite-level welterweight, in my opinion. So in terms of matchmaking for Jerron Ennis to build his brand a little bit, Get him in there against a name opponent, a former champion, a guy that you can market to the casuals, to the civilians. That's a great fight. And I think they should do it in Philly. Ennis versus Garcia in Philly makes too much sense not to happen. And if you're PBC and you're trying to sign this prospect and make him your next big thing, you think about all the potential matchups over the next few years that PBC could make if they sign this kid who's going to get, he's going to fill out and move up and wait, right? We, we know that's going to happen. And PBC has a ton of fighters from 147, really, and they got a few all the way up at 160. So there's a lot of potential fights that could be made here for them. Big fights, pay-per-view type stuff. And I, I would wave that care in front of him and just say, look, we, Danny Garcia in Philly early next year. What do you say? Sign with us. Do a five-fight deal, whatever it is. You got this fight, and then from there, we build you up. Uh, I, I think it could be a big, big deal. You know, So uh, that's what I would do. But anyway, he scores a uh, TKO1 win over Delorme. And a lot of people went nuts. Now, now let me say this. I'm huge on Jerron Boots Ennis, okay? Uh, potential is huge with him. I really, truly believe, just with the eye test, he is going to be a pay-per-view or a pay-per-view star at one point, but he's going to be a pound-for-pound level fighter very soon. He's gonna he's gonna hit pound-for-pound lists before some of these other young cats we keep hearing about that might get more attention on TikTok and stuff. I think Ennis is gonna hit the pound-for-pound list before them because the substance is there, right? However, however, we still haven't seen him against a really, really top-level fighter at their absolute best. And I remember, Delorme is another guy that was a 140 that they brought up. So Ennis, a naturally bigger, stronger, longer guy uh, against a faded veteran fighter who was never a top-rate fighter. But Delorme was good at his absolute best at 140. Yeah, he was a top-level fighter. At 47, though, He's kind of been used to build up resumes, if we're being honest. And Delorme, uh, by the way, who has dropped twice, I should mention, is um, now three, five, and one in his last nine fights going back to 2014, okay? We're currently in 2021. Going back to 2014, this guy is three, five, and one. You look at the three fights he won in those names, and then you look at the guys he lost to, and it tells you the level. So. 
Ennis did everything he was supposed to do in this fight and more. He exceeded every expectation as a prospect. This was a step-up fight for him on paper. And he went in there. He landed a punch to the back of the head, to the side of the head. That's not on Ennis. It wasn't an illegal punch. He wasn't doing it purposely. It's on Delorme for bending over and creating that opportunity for Ennis. And it was an equilibrium shot. Uh, Delorme didn't, you know, couldn't recover from it. This wasn't a true one-punch explosive knockout. Actually, I was more impressed by Zapata's knockout of Vargas, even though Vargas is, is not a very proven fighter. And Delorme is a more proven fighter than Vargas. I just mean the, the, the way he executed it, okay? It was beautiful, beautiful shot. This was more of a clubbing, equilibrium kind of shot. And Ennis, to his credit, followed up on it. So he, again, he did everything you could ask from a young prospect, okay? This isn't a knock on him at all. But some people are losing their minds a little bit. And I saw a bunch of, I, I shared some of these tweets that I saw from, uh, was it Michael Thompson, former NBA player saying he's the new Thomas Hearns. Pump the brakes on that shit. Just, just stop. Everyone immediately these days in sports, and it's not just with boxing. They do this with the NFL, NBA, everything. They immediately want to compare a dude to all-time greats. Dude, like, compare him to fighters in his own fucking era first. He's not even up there with Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence yet. Now, he might beat them one day, but I'm talking in terms of accomplishments. He doesn't even outrate those guys yet. And those guys don't rate that highly to me because they haven't fought each other yet. So slow down with the comparisons to Tommy Hearns. And by the way, he doesn't even really fight like Tommy Hearns. Their, their body types and everything are different and their styles are different. I think there's more comparisons, not that I'm trying to do this yet, but I'm just saying in terms of styles, there's more comparisons to Roy Jones Jr. and guys like that by the way he fights, okay? Uh, and there's even a little bit of Terrence Crawford in there too with the switch hitting and stuff. So there's other fighters I'd compare him to anyway, but I, I just hate when the, the hyperbole, it's just like, you know, a few weeks back when we had the, the third fight between Fury and Wilder. Fun fight. There was action. Both guys were down, but people were calling that the best heavyweight championship fight they'd ever seen. They were saying it was the best fight uh, this century, the best trilogy of all time, right? There and I expect people related to the promotion to say crazy shit like that. And Tyson Fury, I expect him to say shit like that. But knowledgeable media members that have just a somewhat of a semblance of historical knowledge of the sport should not be saying things like that because it wasn't. It wasn't the best trilogy of the last 10 years. Chill the fuck out, guys. So anyway, <clears throat> I digress. Uh, Delorme's best win of his entire career is a split decision win over Hank Lundy at 140 in 2014, okay? That was the pinnacle of his career achievement. So this is a great performance by Jerron Ennis. Crazy excited about the potential. I really think we have a potential pound-for-pound -pound player on our hands. He might be the number one guy one day. Slow down. Let the process play out. Have some patience. Just enjoy the ride, man. Enjoy the ride. In the main event, uh, Razhab Buteyev, a Brooklyn-based Russian-born uh, fighter, scored a TKO 9 win over Jamal James. The judges had it a majority decision for Butyev at the time of the stoppage. The judges should have had a unanimous decision. But somehow, Judge Patricia Morse-Jarman, you've probably heard that name before, 
Had this fight 76-75 James after eight rounds, the other judges correctly had it scored 77-74 for Abutayev. So um, you saw there was a little protection happening from one judge there for the house name. Uh, but wisely, Butayev left it out of the judge's hands. Some people didn't like the stoppage. I thought it was fine. Uh, the one thing about Butayev, his professional resume so far isn't that great. I think he's, what, 14 fights in? 14-0. But uh, his amateur career is reported as being 392-8. and eight. Now, I have no idea if that's true or not because I cannot confirm that. I couldn't conform or confirm through any source that that's accurate or not. But that's what they reported as, 392-8. and eight. Even if it was 300 and 100, any guy that has 400 amateur career, 400 amateur fights uh, in his amateur career knows how to fight. So this is going to be a guy that's going to be fun to watch, man, um, and see how he develops. As for Jamal James, good quality fighter. I just never thought he was on that A level. He's just missing something. There's just something missing there. And really, honestly, maybe it's just the power. You don't have to be an explosive, knockout, devastating puncher, but you got to have enough to keep your opponents honest. And when you got a guy coming forward that can really crack, which Butayev can, uh, sometimes the best way to stop that guy is to nail him with something that makes him think, think twice about coming back in. And James has just never had that. Part of me wonders if he could shave off a little more weight and go down in weight, um, you know, and maybe he could have a second run and do something a little more at 140 if and after Josh Taylor moves up. Josh Taylor would mop the floor with him right now. But if he could shave off a few pounds, let's say Taylor moves up next year. If James could shave off a few pounds, get down to 140, he maybe could win a vacant title down there if he could do it. I just don't know if he could. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the comments real quick. That was it with the review. And uh, let's see. Kouster says, Michael Thompson is always saying idiotic things about boxing. Yeah, um, I, I got to say this, man. Basketball players, NBA players have the worst, worst boxing takes. They are so bad with their boxing takes. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, so are a lot of other athletes, but particularly the NBA guys. When they talk about the NBA or when they talk about boxing, it's really, really bad. <clears throat> Wario Nex says, Mike, why didn't it bother you when they did the same thing with Triple G and Lomachenko? They got super hyped. I think you're probably a troll. You're probably one of the few five or six guys that comes in with a different name every week. For you to make the comparison between Gennady Golovkin and Lomachenko, two guys who medaled in the Olympics, had over 300 amateur fights, uh, I think Loma, I, I can't remember if he was World Series of Boxing or not, but it doesn't matter. And for Lomachenko, won multiple titles before he had 10 pro fights, I think. Uh, and for Triple G, was so ducked that he literally had to move to a different continent. Uh, the entire German commission was avoiding this guy, <laughs> not just Felix Sturm and those guys. For you to compare them to a prospect is asinine. And shows me that you you're just trolling. Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm feeding you a little bit right here so you can have your moment. But anybody with any ounce of boxing knowledge knows that that's a ridiculously stupid comparison. When Triple G was a prospect, he was fighting in Germany, and most American fans didn't even know he existed. 
Lomachenko was a prospect for exactly one fight. He fought for a title in a second pro fight. So you're comparing them to a guy that 29 fights in hasn't fought anybody on the level of an Orlando Salido that Lomachenko fought in his second pro fight. So, dude, stop. Stop. You want, you want to make a comparison? Compare Boots Ennis to another prospect that got overhyped. That would be a smart comparison if you're going to try to play that game. You want to bring one of those at me? Come at me. Do that right now. Do that right now. But comparing them to champions, Olympic medalists, dumb. <clears throat> All right. Sam A says, Tiafimo didn't wait to fight the best, and this would do the same. Yeah, Tiafimo Lopez. There you go. So the thing is, he benefited from being with top rank and from having a veteran champion like Lomachenko that was willing to fight him. Is Ennis going to have that opportunity? Right now, promotionally, he's kind of in no man's land. And does do, do guys like Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence want anything to do with him at this point? I don't know. But you know, the truth is, Jerron Boots Ennis, and again, I think this guy could maybe one day be pound for pound number one. He hasn't fought anybody on the level of when Tiafimo beat Kome and Nakatani. Ennis hasn't beat anybody on that level yet. I know he fought a couple of names, but he fought guys that moved up in weight and guys that were a little old and past it, not at their best. So um, people just need to slow down. Just slow down just a little bit. Ray is asking, did I talk about Zepeda already? Yes, I did, Ray. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. All right, real quick. Actually, not real quick because I have a lot to preview. Let's do this fight preview. <clears throat> Real quick, Nacho says, uh, Mike Ennis won't get that opportunity. Those guys will move from 147 to avoid him. Yeah, I think you're right, Nacho. Um, so th that's going to be the sad thing. The one good thing that might happen from the rise of Jerome Boots Ennis and Virgil Ortiz is it might force Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence to fight each other. You know, they might finally have to fight each other. But at this point, th those guys are old men in the sport. They're in their 30s, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. They should have already fought each other. <clears throat> Benjamin is asking, am I going to talk about Lomachenko versus Comey? So I forgot to mention, guys, in my um, the fights that have been made official, Lomachenko versus Comey happening in December in New York. We'll talk about that fight in detail once, um, once it gets closer, man. But, you know, I, in terms of styles, I like that fight. Uh, Lomachenko staying busy. But there are other fighters I'd rather see Lomachenko in the ring against. But I do think it will deliver in terms of action. Okay, uh, let's start with Friday, November 5th. ESPN Plus is showing a card from Jamie Conlon. That is uh, one of the Conlon brothers uh, who, you know, he's a fighter, but also a promoter. And he's doing a card from Belfast, Northern Ireland. ESPN has picked that up. But then also there's a fight card here at the Virgin Hotel in Las Vegas in America that Top Rank is doing. Michaela Mayer putting her 130-pound title on the line against French woman Maiva Harmadouche. She has the IBF title. This will be her seventh defense. And Mayer has the WBO title. Uh, she's much taller, Michaela Mayer is, will have an extraordinary, extraordinary reach advantage. And I think she'll have just an overall athletic uh, and speed advantage 
Ahamadouch won the vacant title in 2016. Her only loss, and really her only elite-level opponent, was to Delphine Persoon in 2015. She has a very weak resume. and has kind of hung out in France and fought less lesser opposition. I'll just put it nicely. So Michaela is going to win this fight, win this fight big. Now, my knock on uh, Michaela Mayer is kind of like Clarissa Shields. She doesn't knock girls out. She doesn't hurt girls. And if this fight goes the distance, that's a moral victory for Hamadouche. And that's a, a moral L, in my opinion, for Michaela Mayer in terms of style points. But she'll probably win this fight by decision and unify two titles here. So uh, this is good matchmaking from top rank. This is going to be a showcase for Mayer. Saturday, November 6th, the big one. All right. Uh, MGM Grand Garden Arena, Las Vegas, Nevada. Canelo Promotions and TGB Promotions working together to do a fight on Showtime pay-per-view. The undercard to this pay-per-view is not even worth covering. So I'm sorry if I trigger some of you. I'm not even going to talk about it. Not even going to preview the fights on this undercard. It is one of the worst pay-per-view undercards I've ever seen for a major fight or a fight involving the top fighter in the sport. Really, really poor undercard. So I'm not even going to mention it. We're just going to get right to the main event. That's what you guys care about anyway, right? Saul Canelo Alvarez, 56 one or two going up against Caleb Plant, 21 and 0. This is a complete unification of the super middleweight division, 168 pounds. Let's talk about that real quick because I do think, obviously, this is historic. Canelo is going to win this fight pretty one-sidedly. and He's going to unify all the titles, and the, the promotion behind this fight is it's history in the making. You're going to see somebody win all the titles, undisputed, at 168. I love unification fights. I love when any fighter can clean out a division and grab all the titles. But you guys got to understand that one a fighter doesn't necessarily have to win all four major sanctioning organization belts to solidify themselves as the man of a division. Sometimes the belt makes the fighter. Sometimes the fighter makes the belt. Not all of these cases are the exact same. It's really a case-by-case basis. But I don't think anyone would argue that this super middleweight division is not exactly elite. These fighters that Canelo is beating since moving up from 160 are not really, really good. They're not going to be Hall of Famers. And I'm 2020 hindsight now. Actually, you know what? It's not even 2020 hindsight because I've been saying this the whole time. This is genius from Canelo Alvarez and his team. And I really think Eddie Hearn has a big part to play in this as well because he's been working with Canelo. They kind of have this promotional partnership kind of thing happening. I, I don't know if I'd call Canelo a matchroom fighter, but they're working together, right? And uh, Eddie Hearn managed, promoted a lot of the guys at 168. And he has, you know, a built-in promotional footprint there in that division. So it was advantageous for Canelo and Eddie Hearn to start working together. And the genius of this plan to move up to 168 and to stop worrying about 160 is, I still believe the, the, the biggest challenge, the guy that would give Canelo the biggest fight right now from 160 to 168, yes, the same guy I said was going to have a competitive tough fight with Rialdo Morada coming up in December. It's going to Eddie Glovkin. He's still 
the, the, the best, most proven fighter from 160 to 168 and would give Canelo the toughest fight. So Canelo moving up to 68 avoids having to work with Golovkin again, who he, who he doesn't really want to work with again. But more than that, he also can avoid Charlo. He can avoid Andre. And I'm not su- trying to suggest that Canelo is scared of fighting those guys, okay? Because he's not scared of fighting anybody. This is a guy who fought Floyd Mayweather when he was really still a baby contender, you know, a super prospect slash baby contender. I know he held world titles, but again, guys, that's a case-by-case basis with titles. You guys got to stop star-fucking these sanctioning organizations. But right now, Canelo goes up to 68, cleans it out, gets all the belts. Guys like Andre and Charlo, who I think stylistically would actually give him a better fight than Plant, Saunders, obviously Yildirim, uh, Smith, all those guys. They'd actually give him a tougher fight, especially at 160, but even at 168 or a catchweight. They'd give him a tough fight, a tougher fight than those guys. Yeah, and I'm going off the eye test because neither one of them has fought anybody. But let's be clear. Caleb Plant, Billy Joe Saunders, Callum Smith, um, Demetrius Andrade, Charlo, None of these guys have fought an elite level fighter. Now, if some of them have now and they lost when they fought Canelo, but I'm just saying their resumes are all shit, all of them across the board. But Canelo moving up to 68, it puts the onus on Triple G, who's hanging out at 60, to fight those guys. So now Triple G's the bad guy because he's at 160 and he's not fighting those guys. Canelo's the good guy because when people say, hey, man, what about Charlo? He could say, I'm at 168. He's not in my division. Look, man, I'm winning all the belts. I'm being undisputed. I got a goal in mind, right? So, so it's a genius marketing thing from Canelo and his team. Now, he's going to mop the fucking floor with Caleb Plant, okay? this is gonna it, it, The fight could go the distance. Plant might show us enough intestinal fortitude and toughness to go the distance. But I do think Canelo is going to win wide points if it does. And you can... I don't know what the over-under is. One of you guys can let me know. But I do think there's a strong possibility that Canelo can stop Plant. Either it's going to be an accumulation. I don't don't see a one-punch knockout. But an accumulation-type shot or cuts. Plant has cut before. It would not surprise me to see Canelo cut Plant early in this fight. And eventually, the doctor or somebody stopping the fight. Or even the the ref or the corner stepping in at some point. I could see all those things happening, but make no mistake. Canelo Alvarez is going to win this fight. Okay. I am more interested about what happens after this fight. Okay. Is this, is this really a big fight? People are trying to talk about this. Like, Oh, it's a big fight. Is it really big? I guess it's a big fight. Whenever Canelo Alvarez is in the ring, he could fight Avni Yildirim. It's still a big event, but guys, I'm, I'm nowhere near as excited is when I saw Canelo fight Gennady Golovkin. This fight, this isn't a 50-50 matchup like that. We're, we're just, it's nowhere near that. And I'm actually, I, I think Golovkin Murata is going to be more competitive than this fight. Okay, for for several reasons. But um, I, I'm more curious on what happens after. Does Canelo Alvarez fight David Benavidez, who I talked at the very beginning of the show about Benavidez, right? We still don't know what the hell Benavidez really, really has because he hasn't fought an elite level fighter. And we should have seen Benavidez fight plant 
several years ago. We should have seen these guys fight each other or, you know, all these dudes should have fought each other. It didn't happen. They're all kind of waiting out for the Canelo sweepstakes or at 160. Now they're waiting out for the Golovkin sweepstakes. Um, and make no mistake about this. From 160 to 165, there are two, two stars. The word star gets thrown around a lot in this sport. There are two bankable stars right now from 60 to 75. Their names are Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. You don't like that? Too fucking bad. It's the truth. Charlo. Well, Charlo fought on pay-per-view. How'd that pay-per-view do? How'd it do? Artur Baturbiev's a killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can he sell 10,000 outside of Montreal? God, can he sell 10,000 in Montreal? The guy fights like Gary Russell Jr. is as active as, as Baturbiev, okay? So the only two bankable stars are those guys. And unfortunately, what you have had is a bunch of dudes just waiting out, hoping to get the sweepstakes with that big name fighter. In the case of Canelo, a lot of these guys are basically selling their soul, knowing, hey, man, I'm probably going to get tuned the fuck up, but I'm going to make career high money. So you got British guys coming over here to fight Canelo and get tuned up in Vegas or wherever it is. And then um, with Golovkin, he just hasn't been active. And Golovkin's kind of been telling these young guys, hey, nobody did, any, did me any fucking favors when I was a young guy and I was trying to fight the best. Everyone avoided me, so fuck you. Earn that fight. Do Charlo and Andre want to fight each other and earn the fight with Golovkin? Of course not, right? That's not going to happen. Did Plant and, and, um, and Benavidez want to fight each other to earn the fight with Canelo? Of course not. But if Canelo, if Canelo, I, I will give him credit. He's the pound for pound number one guy right now because he's carrying the sport, okay? So that's, that's part of what I'm factoring in my rating. But if Canelo, after he beats Plant, if he fights a guy like Benavidez, who, again, isn't very proven, but in terms of eye test styles, I think actually gives him a better fight. And it's a, a more marketable fight in terms of the demographics. Uh, if they do that in L.A. or Vegas or something, even Texas. If he fights and beats him, then we see him fight the likes of Dmitry Bivol and Artur Baturbiev, and he beats them. We could be talking about the best Mexican fighter of all time. Yes, Yes, I'm saying that because if he actually does all those things, right, and then beats whatever mandatories or whatever in between all of that, that's that's going to be hard to top for, for other Mexican fighters in the past. Um, I still think the third fight with Triple G needs to happen. You throw that in there and then maybe a win over Charlo or something like if Charlo moves up to 68, you know, something like that I think really could put him at least in the conversation, I'm not saying it's a definite, okay, guys? But if he dominates all those names, the way, the way I just suggested, okay, the way he's been dominating these B-level guys at 168, that would be unprecedented. That would be big-time shit. That'd be generational accomplishments. That would, that would, in my opinion, put him above Mayweather, even though Mayweather beat him, because Mayweather didn't take those sorts of challenges. If Canelo moves up to 75 and fights Bevel and Baturbiev there and gets the belt, or then let's throw Joe Smith in the mix, wins those titles, that's a big deal. Do I think that's going to happen? No, I, I, I don't. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, so I don't want to jump the gun too much and get too far ahead. But what I see happening this, this Saturday is I see uh, Plant being competitive early, 
I do think Plant has a little more substance to him than Saunders, who I think is incredibly overrated. And um, and Smith, who maybe we underrated Smith now in hindsight. Maybe. We, we still, jury's still out to me uh, when it comes to Smith. But neither of those guys are elite. Either way, um, I think Plant has enough substance to maybe maybe go the distance. Like, it, it wouldn't shock me. It also wouldn't shock me to see just an absolute bloodied up plant with a couple of cuts over his eyes, uh, kind of looking like Jamel Herring looked a couple of weeks ago here in Atlanta against Shakur Stevenson, except Canelo is a lot more explosive than Stevenson and knows how to finish more than him and uh, goes downstairs better and everything else. And I don't think plant is as tough and as proven as Herring. So um, it, it could look somewhat like that, though. You know, where he just kind of gets shredded up, cut up. Would I love to be proven wrong? Would I love to see a great epic battle? Of course, of course I would. Because not only would it be great for, for the fans watching and everything like that, but it would build another American boxing star. If Caleb Plant goes the distance, and let's say it's a 115-113 kind of fight, and he actually backs Canelo up, and, you know, it looks, it's somewhat like his fights with Gennady Golovkin, where people are arguing about the decision and, you know, people are split on who they think won. That not only is great for the sport, right? But it's, there's another, there's another name now. It proves, Hey, guys like me were wrong about Caleb plant. He really does have something to him. He really is an elite level fighter. Shit. Maybe we get a rematch next year. That's really good for the sport. So I hope that's what happens. I don't think that's what's going to happen, though. That's just not what I see um, in terms of styles and everything else. And, and more than any of that, guys, you can't go from the level of opposition Caleb Plant has fought, which is really bad, really, really bad, to the top dude in the sport right now. Because not only are you going up against a dude who's in his absolute prime, his absolute peak, and that's what Canelo is right now. He is a peaking fighter. You're going up against that, but you're also going up against the motherfucking machine. And make no mistake, I, I get it. Caleb Plant's American and everything, but the machine here is, is Canelo. He's the sport. So you're going up against the man in the ring, but you're also going up against the machine outside the ring. So I, I think Plant is just going to be like, holy hell, the, the level that he's going to discover in this fight is, is, is unlike anything he's ever seen before. And I think that's going to be really apparent by the middle rounds. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's apparent in the first couple rounds. We'll see. But I'll be watching. I'll be watching with some friends this week. So, um, yeah. All right. Let's, um, you know what? We are about an hour in. I'm just taking some notes here. And I think it's time to maybe jump to some calls. So if you guys want to jump on the call, the phones, We'll jump to some of your calls. Let's keep them quick, though, today, all right, guys? Let's try to keep them at, like, five minutes or so, all right? Let's uh, jump on this first one. 570, you're on the show. What's going on? Yo, Mike, it's bad. Hey, uh, I got some odds here for you on the Canelo fight, and uh, he's 12-1 to 1 to win the fight. Okay. Um, what's interesting is the over-under is 9.5, even money. And for the fight to uh, go the distance, you're getting plus – 225 if it goes the distance and 175 minus 175 if it doesn't. So the odds makers are putting Canelo at a two to one favorite to knock out plant. Mm. And if you're going to bet plant, he's 14 to one both ways to win by decision and or knockout. So 
Um, yeah, he's a big underdog here. It's the biggest underdog I've seen of any of the titleists that um, Canelo has fought so far. Hmm. And I think it plays into the fact that nobody really knows anything about Plant. Yeah. I've only seen him fight twice. Um, we don't know if he could take a punch. Um, his uh, face swelled up after that melee. I know he got hit with his glasses on and it caused a cut, but you know, obviously with a cut, there's swelling. I think you're right on track with him getting busted up. I think that's how it ends. But with PBC, if I'm Canelo, I'm going for the knockout. I'm breaking him down. And he even said this is personal. A lot of it's a lot of talk because, you know, the, the whole basis is, oh, he insulted my mother because he said M- mother effer. Right. So it was lost in translation. Well, anyway, Canelo, technically, he says he has something personal here. I like a stoppage inside the distance. But then again, I really don't know Caleb Plant. I mean, we, we thought Vernon Forrest was going to uh, walk all over Ricardo Mayorga. But obviously, Plant's not that type of fighter. But we, we've seen a lot of upsets in boxing. But but I would say since the odds are so high, can we win this fight? Um, speaking of odds, this past weekend, Delorme was, <laughs> listen, Ennis was a hundred to one favorite, a hundred to one. Oof. That's twice as high as Buster Tyson versus Douglas. Okay, um, he was a hundred to one favorite and a fifty to one favorite at other outlets. So the odds makers basically said, "Yeah, Delorme is looking for a soft place to land here." How this guy gets all this love, I don't know. When I mention that online, people attack me. I mean, they came at me in droves. So it tells me that Ennis is the new. Wilder, he's the new go-to guy for this LDBC crew. So it's a good thing and a bad thing. They're going to get behind him. They're going to push him. But for me, when I see him fight, I think of either Jeff Lacey or Johnny Bumfist. Hmm. Bump City from back in the day was a good fighter. Um, he got beat by Mad Dog Hatcher, who came in and, and busted him up. And Bumfist can't take a shot. I don't think Ennis could take a shot. I think he's being protected in a bit where his chin isn't being checked. And DeLorme landed a good shot, locked him, okay? But I just I just see some chinks in that armor. And like Lacey, he was built up to be this, you know, the next Mike Tyson because uh, he beat Robin Reed, you know, pretty decisively. And he went over and got absolutely mauled by Calzaghe. Right. You know, these guys need to check themselves, okay? He's got to fight somebody, not a 100-to-1 underdog, a real fighter like even Garcia at this point is not a real fighter and not a real challenge. He's never been a real good welterweight. He's been cannon fodder. I want to see him fight uh, a Kavialskis or a okay. Bukayev, and we'll judge him off that. Okay? I mean, if he fights Garcia, I'm betting everything <laughs> on, on Ennis because I know Garcia, yeah. he, he's just cannon fodder at welterweight because he's a real 140. And uh, with, remember uh, you're talking about uh, Golovkin Murata. Uh, you're right. I think that's going to be a barn burner, fight of the year type of fight. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the odds are. I would say Golovkin is probably about three to one. That's what I would set it at. Um, you're going to see. I think this is the first time Gennady gets knocked down. I think mm-hmm. he knocks him out late, though. It's going to be an interesting fight. Both guys are, you know, up there in age. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, all these canceled fights now. It, it stinks because I really wanted that uh, Otto Valine upset. I would have had a lot of money on him and uh, Tank Davis now. You know, he was a stone-cold lock to win that fight. Basically, if you're a better, just bet bet on Tank Davis. They're not going to let him win at this point. That's what boxing is. 
you know, turned into on the Mayweather side and then PBC side. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of depressing, but you know, we, we do have some good up and coming guys and we saw some really interesting upsets this weekend. So I, I really think you're off on the, Maha, um, Hamadouche and Michaela Mayer fight. Yeah. I think Hamadouche is going to, going to knock her out. Oh, really? Yeah. I think right. Michaela Mayer. Yes, I do. You, even though even though Hamadouche is up there in age and she got beat in the Olympics, her style is a pressure style. She hits. I mean, she's a, one of the most powerful women punchers. Okay. Michaela's never fought anybody like that. And uh, I think she breaks her down. And uh, unless there's like a, one of those weird scorecards, if it gets to the scorecards, that's the only way I can see Michaela win. But then again, if Michaela wins, I, I'm going to eat my words and, and she's the real deal. Okay. But I, I just think this is uh, yeah too much for her right now. So, Buyer beware. If you're betting that fight, I would stay away. I don't even know the odds on it yet. And I'm definitely going to take a flight on Hamadouche if it's, you know, if she's a five to one underdog, like I anticipate, because again, she's the B side. Right. I mean, that's a fight to look at where you're going to get, you know, good odds. So, um, yeah, definitely want to hear what you have to say, especially about, uh, well, you, you, if you want to cover Ennis more and, you know, how, you know, people are trying to now say he's, you know, oh, well, Golovkin, he never fought anybody, blah, blah, blah. You know, but these are the same guys saying Ennis, oh, he's, he's pound for pound now. He's the new Tommy Hearns. It's amazing, the double standard. It, it really it's the same guys, too. Yeah. Like, they never cease to amaze me. So, again, Mike, uh, you know, thanks for a great show, and uh, I'll hear what you have to say. Thanks, man. Bye. All right. Thanks a lot, Ed. Yeah, look, um, to me, Ennis passes the eye test just in terms of talent. Um, I'd certainly, I'd put him light years above Thad mentioned Deontay Wilder. I think Ennis is already a much better boxer than Deontay Wilder uh, ever dreams to be. We don't know how he catches. We don't know how he takes a punch from a real welterweight. We won't know till we know, but yeah, for people to make comparisons between Ennis and guys like Golovkin again, when Golovkin was, by the time he Golovkin got to America, he was at least 30. And he was a he was a veteran fighter already, um, so, so you can't really compare a prospect to a veteran fighter. Uh, people just try so hard to make these comparisons, and uh, they try to feed off the lowest common denominator. Um, you know, and they'll go with you know nationalistic tribal kind of things. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but um, it, it's it's the same pattern over and over and over. And my whole thing with with Ennis and even Virgil Ortiz. And all these guys at lightweight that still got to fight, like Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. Um, man, let's just let the process play out. Let let these guys fight. Let let them you know mature. And until they do, then they're they're not proven. And um, you know, you mentioned uh, Kavaliauskas. I'd like to see Ennis versus Kavaliauskas. I think when I mentioned Danny Garcia, that's more of a brand building thing. My thing with Ennis is no one knows who this guy is. And a 29-year-old, undefeated, good-looking, uh, attractive in terms of his style, you know, exciting uh, style, a uh, fighter out of Philadelphia and all the history that city has in boxing, you would think this kid would be a name. You would think that, like, there'd be a social media presence or something. There's nothing. His team has been trash. Uh, he's been completely mishandled. So that's why I say a fight with a Danny Garcia helps bridge that gap a little bit. Is it really going to tell us how he would do against a 
Bud Crawford or an Errol Spencer or even a Virgil Ortiz? No, of course not. But it's a brand building exercise and it gets him in there with an experienced fighter. But yeah, I'd love to see him with uh, with Kavliowskis. Stan Leonis is another guy. He's got a fight coming up though. Um, Ugas, you know, those kinds of guys. Of course, I want to see him in the ring with those kinds of fighters. And until we do, we don't really know where to rate him. But right now, as far as being one of the young fighters in this sport that I'm excited to see, and I, I want to see how he develops, I'm actually interested. He's one. He, he, he's near the top of the list. He really, truly is. All right, back to the phones. We, <clears throat> we go. Uh, 858, you're on the show. What's up? Mike, what's going on? This is your boy, Abraham from NY Fight. What's up, Abraham? How you doing, man? <laughs> Yo, I got I saw the San Diego hey, area code, man. So did you go? Uh, was that where you did basic out there? Were you at Pendleton? No, 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 no. That was that was my second. That was my the first duty station I I get I uh, oh, okay. a cell phone at. Okay. I never changed the number. Guys, Abraham's <laughs> a fellow Marine. That's why I asked that. So, so okay, so you're a PI just like me. Okay, I, I thought so because I thought we talked about that, but yes, I just sir. I saw the area code. I'm like, what? Okay, what's up, man? Hey, so um, for Canelo and Plant, I, I've got my chip clip ready to hold over my nose and pinch <laughs> my nose because I feel like Plant is going to make this into a stinker. I I have to remind people that before uh, the Uskatagi fight and then I think the one before that, before those fights, he was on FS1 stinking it up. Yeah. People hated watching the fight because yeah. – he was just boring, and and uh, they it almost forced him to to try to fight a fan friendly fight, which is why they put him with Uskatagi and and to try to get some draw some interest in him. So I feel like you know he's gonna try his best to stink it up, uh, and uh, either it's going to be a, a late stoppage by Canelo or it's gonna be just a boring one sided decision like you mentioned. Oh, that would that would suck, man. Now, in re- now in regards to Ennis and Virgil Ortiz, the problem that I have is that the welterweight division, it's almost like you have the, the there's too much of a gap between the champions and like everyone else. Yeah. And so with Virgil and, and Boots, we won't know what they have. We won't know if they're stars or not until they face the champions. And and the problem is is that Right now, that doesn't look like it'll happen next year at all. So they have to hopefully get some of these former champions, maybe. Um, that's if Garcia and Thurman or, and company don't fight at 154. Uh, but if not, they're left with fighting whoever's available until they can get one of the champions. And that's the only real way we're going to know if these guys are the real deal or not. I hear you, man. Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, that's that's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to believe in Ennis and Virgil Ortiz. I'm, I'm all about them, too. Me, too. But until they fight the champions, and, um, you know, we just won't know what, what we got there. Do you, and, think, um, do you think those fights happen, though, uh, Abraham? Thing, uh, realistically, do those fights even happen? I don't, I really don't think so. I yeah. think that the... The person that may be closest to getting a, a title fight 
maybe at the end of 22 or early 23 would be Virgil Ortiz more than Ennis. Yeah, I because agree. Because of, and that's if, and that's if, if Crawford makes it past Porter, if they, they don't make the Spence Crawford fight in 22, then I think that they, that De La Hoya has uh, more, uh, a little more um, uh, leverage to make that fight, um, given the relationship, the on and off relationship with top rank. Okay. So I, I think that they can make that fight, but but Ennis is on a he's on Gilligan's Island right now. Yeah, man. And so so let me ask you this: If you're Ennis and his team, which again has done a horrible job managing his career so far, in my opinion, who do you sign with? Because he's got to sign with one of these promoters. Do you go with top rank? knowing that maybe you get the Crawford fight and then maybe you can get Josh Taylor, maybe even a Tiafima Lopez. Like there's possibilities there. Or do you go with PBC knowing you can fight the Ugases, maybe even go up to 54 fight uh, Charlo uh, Spence, you know, which way would you go? I, I think you go with the PBC only because his, his future uh, at 154 would be sooner than later. Right. And, okay. and they have, uh, a good pool of fighters over there that he can, you know, uh, contend against and then eventually fight for a title. Uh, I don't see that same pool with uh, Golden Boy or Top Rank or even, you know, Matchroom. Uh, I think that the PBC, when it comes to 147, 154, they have more fights to be made there yeah. uh, than, than anywhere else. Yeah, they definitely have more fighters. I just don't know if the fights will get made. That that's just that's always my question over there, and I, you know I hate to to be that guy that you know says that, but there's there's a track record, dude, and it, uh, that would be my thing because for a guy like Ennis, who I, I misspoke earlier, I said he had 29 fights, he has 28, he's 28, no, uh, to, for a guy to be 28, you know, and to really haven't fought a top level fighter yet in the division, you know, not one of these older guys or somebody that's moved up in weight. Uh, that's crazy, man, because there's other guys out there that are fighting for titles now. Some of these guys from overseas, they're fighting for titles in their 10th, 15th pro fight. So, you know, at some point, he's he's they're avoiding him. It's not his fault that he's being avoided, but you got to sign with the right promoter to get moved up and to get the fights. You know what I'm saying? And, and not only that, but with the PBC uh, nearing – the end of their deal with Fox potentially, or even if they get extended a year, yeah. you know, that, that life of uh, the life of that contract, you know, is, is not that long. So, you know, the PBC may be holding out quote unquote to, uh, to make those bigger fights when they sign the new deal or use that as a bargaining chip to sign that new deal with Showtime or whoever and say, Hey, we, we have X, Y, and Z fights ready to go. Um, you know, once we signed this deal. So I, I think that has uh, something to do with it as well. I hear you. Well, man, I, you know, call into the show more, man. We need to get you on some more, Abraham. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks, Michael, for having me on, man. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate it. Keep doing your thing, bro. All right, brother. We'll talk soon, man. Okay, bye. All right. There he goes. There he goes. And, uh, you know, just want to shout out to Abraham for, for your service, brother. Um, guys, Abraham's been in the Marines for a long time. I know he's got maybe a couple more years we we're talking about until he's retired. Uh, you know, for me, it was just a one and done, one contract, and that was it. 
but for uh for lifers like abraham just uh nothing but respect and um yeah just anytime we hear from a fellow devil dog on the show uh it's a, it's a great thing so ringside reporter joining us live too uh ringside reporter here on the chat uh now they are saying i don't know is is this eric or is this beeb i'm not sure which one uh it is here on the chat but um he was saying whichever one uh saying that uh, and this should go with top rank which was interesting and then they're saying the fights won't get made if he goes with pvc so that's an interesting take um and you know i, I think a lot of people out there would would, would agree with that uh so I, I don't know where to um where i would go man it, it really it really is up to him and one of you guys asked if uh cameron duncan's managing him yes but I, you know, I gotta say, man, Cameron Duncan has not done a good job, yo. Like, like I just, uh, we should know about this guy. We we should know a lot more about him. Um, he should be moving the needle. And again, man, you guys, here's something I just I don't understand. If you got a guy like Jerron Ennis, who I think everyone would agree, wherever you rate him, whatever you feel, he's talented, right? And he's exciting to watch, and it. Imagine he's 28 fights in. Imagine if 25 of those fights, fuck it, let's just go 20. If 20 of those fights were in Philly, okay, and you're just fighting in front of 5,000, you find a venue there where you can get in front of four or 5,000, your average ticket's $100, right? So you keep it cheap. So if you're doing 5,000, 100 bucks average, that's bringing in half a mil, right? And then you get your your TV deal, whether it be Showtime, DAZN, whatever, whoever's broadcasting the fight. Uh, and then you fight three, four, five times a year, and you keep that up. It had they done that, and I get it. The first couple of fights, you're selling 500 tickets, a thousand tickets, but by now you're probably selling five or six thousand tickets a show, right? And you, you do that in Philly, you build up a brand, and then you take it outside of Philly. Um, that's how you promote a guy like that. And I, I just don't understand the mentality and, and, and the business practices. And I get it. It's a hard business, man. It, it, promoting boxing is tough. And it's so difficult working with fighters because especially a really talented fighter like Ennis, he's got dozens of people in his ear telling him things. Dude, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you, right? And he's being pulled a million different directions. And it's so hard to manage all that and keep him on track. I get it. But had they built up his career in Philly, which again has this proud boxing tradition, right? You think there's so many names I could pick. And had he been fighting again, two, 3,000 starting off with, and then it builds up to five or six. And now you could probably do seven or 8,000 by this time. Maybe this fight with Delorme, he could have, it could have been the main event of a show in Philly. You know what I mean? In front of six, 7,000. Um, <clears throat> you have a brand. And you'd have a name, and then you could start moving on now to the big fights. I just don't understand why they didn't do that. Like, like it's so obvious. And you look at what Top Rank did with a guy like uh, Crawford in his hometown. Does anyone think of Omaha, Nebraska as a boxing hotbed? Well, Terrence Crawford made it one. Now there's a camp out of that city that produces great fighters. Right. One just took an L recently in Jamel Herring, but uh, there's a great camp there with Bomac. And and if if Terrence Crawford could fight anybody there and probably do 10,000 still, you look at what they did with Ramirez in Northern California around Fresno, right? Small town and how they've built that up. 
and, and there's different examples I could give uh, what Golden Boy's done with Virgil Ortiz in Texas, right? There's multiple examples. PBC has, has started to figure it out with Spence in Texas, but there's all these other guys, man, like the Charlos. They should be fighting in Houston twice a year for short money and then do one big fight a year in Vegas. That's that's your multi-million dollar payout, whatever. F two more times a year in Houston, right? There's a million guys I can I can name like this. And if 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 American promoters started to do it that way, kind of do what they do over in the UK, what Matchroom does in the UK, and now Matchroom does it in Italy what Uzbekistan, Spain, all these other countries, right? It, it's just, it's not really that, it's not rocket science. It's like, oh, Daniele Scardina, right? An Italian fighter. They fight over in Naples or something. They do a crowd over there. They have the zone pick it up internationally so that they get the international audience. But this is just a prospect. But over in Italy, people are excited to see him fight. You build a brand over there. And eventually he's going to get a title shot against one of the top guys and probably take an L in that fight, but they'll get his big payday and stuff. But why don't the American promoters do it that way here? I, I just, it, dude, it just baffles me. It just baffles me. All right. Uh, let's hear from Nacho. looks like we got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Uh, nothing much. Um, just real quick. You've been talking about him for the last few minutes. I mean, he's a hell of a prospect, but like you said, I just think that right now the hype train has gotten out of control with Boots, and we need to see him in there against a guy who's as big as he is, who's as strong as he is, who can take a punch in order to see Boots really tested. Mm -hmm. um, man, you see a lot of these so-called Boots fans talking about, oh, he would smoke this guy, oh, he would smoke that guy. Based on what? Based on him beating two small... 140 pounders that had really uh, no shot of, of uh, beating him. I mean, I give I give him credit for taking him out the way he did because yeah. not anybody can do that against those guys. But I mean, let let's pump the brakes here. He's he's not steamrolling everybody at 147 right now based on who he's fought so far. So I mean, I I like the kid a lot and I think he's talented as hell. Mm -hmm. But I I still need to see someone in there who can legitimately punch him and make us see if he can really take a, a shot. Cause this uh, beating up on smaller guys that are moving up to 147, eventually it's just going to get old. It's going to, he's going to become like tank Davis, just picking and choosing guys to maintain a, a, a zero. If he, if he stays that course, which I hope he doesn't, mm. I hope he doesn't uh, stay on that course, but, well, you know, time will tell what kind of a uh, job Duncan and, and the people over there at Showtime uh, do as far as, you know, matching them up with guys uh, moving forward. And then uh, Zepeda, uh, I agree with you, Mike. I think he's underrated by a lot of people. And like you said, there's certain fights like the Ramirez fight. I thought he gave Ramirez hell. And I think mm -hmm. Ramirez wanted no part of a rematch. But honestly, though, Mike, I, I kind of have to agree with what uh, some people have said about Zepeda. The problem with Zepeda is that he, his lack of motivation sometimes is what kills him. Like in that fight against Hank Lundy, I think he just thought he was just going to walk in there, wash him, and then walk out with the paycheck. And the fact that Lundy went out there and kind of gave him fits and he wasn't able to take him out right away, I think that was a bad look for Zepeda. And I think he 
he's the type of guy that unless he's up for the fight, you don't see the best out of him. Because notice how it's been against guys like Baranchuk, against uh, this guy Vargas, against Ramirez. That's when you've seen peak Zapata. Hmm. And against guys like Hank Lundy and, um, you know, other lesser fighters, he, he's just very flat and very unmotivated. Hmm. And then that's when people just kind of crap all over him. So I hope that he does get a fight against somebody. I don't know if it's going to be Josh Taylor. I mean, I would like to see him take on the winner of uh, Ramirez and Pedraza if that becomes available, you know, yeah, I think one great. of those guys, I think, I think I'd like to see him take on one of those guys while he waits for Taylor. And then, um, <clears throat> and then with, uh, Butaev, Butaev is just a rugged, rugged guy. And I didn't think he was going to do that to Jamal James, but all credit to, to him. He went in there, he walked through fire, he beat up James to the body all night and he took his, his legs and, and right before uh, the last round, right before round nine, uh, you know, he Jamal James told his corner, my legs, my legs. So, like, he knew he was done at that point. And he was just trying to see if he could make it to the end and survive. And some people complained about the stoppage, which I didn't have an issue with. I think yeah, it was a good either. stoppage. I think, I think they saved him uh, from getting, you know, his career shortened because I think Butte would have just gone the town on him moving forward mm -hmm. if they would have let that fight continue. So I think it was a good stoppage. Um, I mean, Buteyev is going to have to wait for uh, whoever wins between uh, Ugas and Stanionis, which I mean, I think it's going to be a hell of a fight too. I think Ugas has yeah. got his work cut out for him if he wants to hold on to that bill, um, for sure. Uh, it, fighting both of these guys is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. And then my last thing, Mike, because, you, you know, you say you wanted people to keep the calls short. Um, with Canelo, I mean, I agree with everything you've said about him moving up to 68. He's kind of um, pulled himself away from the whole Charlo-Andre um, conversation. And those guys, like you said, they've refused to do anything as far as putting in the work themselves to force Canelo to have to fight him. They've basically resorted to trying to crash press conferences and yep. begging for Canelo to fight him. And it's sad and it's and it's pathetic, but that's what happens when, you know, you're catered to and you're given everything you want. And then when the one guy who has leverage over everybody can dictate who and when he fights can just kind of dismiss you, I mean, that that's a bad look. So, um, you know, they don't have anybody to blame uh, except themselves for that. Um, and then... As far as the fight, I don't think Plant makes it, Mike. he He's the type of guy, it's been rumored that he has 12 to 14 week camps just to make 168. I just don't think he lives a Spartan lifestyle when he's not getting ready for a fight. And I think that's going to tell as the fight goes on. I think, like you said, he'll be competitive in the first third or so of the fight. Mm -hmm. But I think once Canelo starts hitting him to the body and he starts taking that movement out of his legs, yeah. I think he's going to end up uh, beating him up and stopping him. I think he stops him in like eight. Mike. That's just how I see it playing out. I think he ends up stopping him way before he goes the distance. I mean, it'd be shocking if Plant went the distance. I mean, I give him a lot of credit if he survived 12 rounds and made it made it out without, you know, getting knocked out. But I, I just don't see it. He, he's a guy who I think legitimately, they've he's like a, a Fabergé egg. 
The <laughs> PBC has done everything they can to protect him and that title. And I think they know that this is his cash out. So that's why I think they're just kind of conceding the fact that, you know, they don't think he's going to, he's going to be, uh, you know, viable in, in the sense of having that zero um, to his name anymore. So, all right, Mike, that was my call. Uh, all right, Nacho, good listen. stuff, man. Later. All right, man. Right, bro. Later. All right, let's jump right. Wow, we got a bunch of calls, man. Okay, uh, let's go to Joe Habib from Ringside Reporter is on the show. What's up, Joe? How you doing, man? What's going on, Mike? Chilling, man. Um, I I understand people want Ennis to fight somebody, but let's let's look at the eye test. I mean, I I I, I like resume, but sometimes you just look at somebody. Mm-hmm. And you can tell the guy's special. He he was he switched to southpaw effortlessly. Caps him with the left hand. People don't. People have to really look and see that sequence at the end when he knocked out the woman. He caps him with the left hand, comes around with a little little tapping right hook, and then he sneaks the the other punch, the other left hand, boom, real hard. Boom. So what Man, he does is he just he just. Like extemporaneously on the fly, switches to southpaw on the inside, not on the outside, on the inside. Then he taps him, taps him, and then goes boom. So he gets, he just touches him with the left just to, to feel him. And, and, and Delorme's getting the rhythm of that, that, that softer punch. And then he hits him another soft punch. And then he just, on the turn of a dime, boom, sneaks that left hand in there and changes up the power. That's like, that's like a drill on the pads. You see someone do that on mm-hmm. the pads. And you say, and when you're watching him, you say to yourself, he could never do that in a real fight. Mm-hmm. But he did it in a real fight. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you could look at the Lorme and you can, you know, I think he's a decent fighter. He was a solid fighter at one point. Obviously, he's got some miles on him. But look at other guys. Like, Lucas went, went 10 rounds with him. Jamal James went the distance uh, with him in, in a loss, right? Uh, he won, excuse me. Um. Crawford went like I think seven rounds with him. He blew him out in one round. Like like okay, the opposition is not great, but these guys aren't staying around long. You know, and he did get hit with a with a right hand, and he just like laughed at it. Yep. So going by the eye test, I got to be honest with you. I think this guy can can beat the champions now, all of them. Hmm. I think he's a pick him fight against Crawford, but I I still th- I still think he'd beat Crawford. Um, you think he beat and Crawford think right now? Right now, yeah, right now. Oh. Right now. This is what I said about Tyson Fury after the second Derek Jezora fight. I said, this guy is, is going to be special. I, I said, he's going to be heavyweight champion. He's going to be Klitschko one day. Hmm. And uh, he was he was a four-to-one underdog. And he, you can go back to the Boxing Boys days when I was talking about Fury. Certain guys, <laughs> like Shakur Stevenson, I know people are, are, are downing, you know, the pairing, right? Because this is what people do. They love to devalue the guy that lost. and Of course. And just you know how that shit it. works. And they don't want to elevate they don't want to elevate the guy that won. Yeah. But when you when I watched that Shakur Stevenson fight, I said to my again, I'm an eye obviously resume means a lot, but I'm I'm sometimes the eye test for me will trump will trump resume. Right? Yeah. And when I I saw what Shakur did in that fight, how he was effective 
not only not only from the outside, but the mid range, right, and on the inside, how he was dogging him on the inside too, yeah. and that right hook that he hit him with. He's a natural right hand. He's he's a right handed person, and he and he's a southpaw, which is a which is a, a, a outstanding attribute to have as a southpaw, right? Because when you're fighting orthodox guys, they're not ready for your right hook. Like like not many southpaws. You can count on your hand had great right hooks. Mm-hmm. I think Sergio Martinez is the only the only southpaw that comes to mind that, has, that that you know had a good right hook. So you know if this kid sits down on his punches, right? And grits his teeth like he did in that fight. That was that was a, a a phenomenal performance. I agree. That was a phenomenal performance. You know, I most people thought he would win a decision, but no one thought he would beat him up like that. Yep. So sometimes you just look at like, you know, and I'll go back to Andre Ward. When I when I saw Andre Ward beat Edison Miranda, that was another moment that I said, you know what, this guy's going to be special. Because when someone shows you certain things, when you look real closely and you see little things and they just stand out to you and you say to yourself, this is, a, this is special what this guy's doing right now. Sometimes you say, well, you know what? He could do this against just about anybody. And obviously all the fights for Ennis are not going to be as easy as the Lorme fight. But I just, I just, I'm just seeing like natural adaptive reactive movement from this guy. Like Tiafimo Lopez is another guy has is very adaptive reactive, very re- reflexive. Mm-hmm. You can just see guys who just do things without even thinking. It's just habit. It's instinctive. Shakur Stevenson's one of them. Andre Ward was one of them. And this kid is another one. And Tyson Fury is another one. Like, you know, as much as I like um, uh, Virgil Ortiz, He's a very, he's a gritty guy. He's a good boxer, excellent inside fighter. He doesn't have what this kid has. When I when I talk, when I say the adaptive reactive, yeah, right. he thinks he's got to think about it to set it can, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, certain guys they just they just process things faster than other guys. You know, Lomachenko's another one. But that, that's all I got to say. And and again. I, anyone that says, you know what, I want to see him in with, with, with better guys, great. I think everyone wants to see him with better guys. Right. But you know, I think he's going to be special. I'm, I'm saying it right now. I think I think he beats every Walter Weight in the world right now. And I'm going to say something really controversial. I think I think Spence. I think Ennis is a nightmare style wise for Spence because no, I agree. I think Crawford would be. A, Crawford I think Crawford's would be a, tougher a tougher fight. Yeah, he's got yeah. quick feet. Harper's got very quick feet. Spence doesn't have the quickest feet in the world. He really, really doesn't. As and much and as also, like Spence, that's just one downfall. I think Crawford's switch hitting in the length on his jab. He gets really, really good length on that jab. Oh, and he's he can, got, yeah, he's got he's got very long arms too. He can mess up your timing. He could change up the angle on it. He could shoot it to your chest, to your shoulder, wherever he wants to put it. I think I think he would give uh, Ennis. Right now, I just think Crawford's a little too experienced. But I hear you. I think it would probably be the toughest fight of Crawford's career. But I, th- I think Ennis could beat you know, Spence right now. I really do believe that. Yeah. yeah. You know, my opinion on that, though, is, Mike, to me, Ennis is a bigger version of Crawford yeah. with a little more pop in his punches. That's Actually, I like that comparison a lot. I like that comparison a lot that's, because – 
Yeah. And and Crawford's getting up there. He's going to be 35 uh, pretty soon. Yeah. Right? This kid's only 24 years old. That's the scary thing about it. And the Lipinets, the Lipinets, I, I get it. Lipinets are small. I get it. But who, who beats up Lipinets like that? Who does that to Lipinets? It's a good you point. Know, who knocks the Lormy out and run? Who, 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 who knocks the Lormy out and one around and, and, and does it in the Southpaw stance? Who, who does that? Yeah. So that's, that's all I'm saying. But th- thank you for the taking my call. I didn't want to hold up uh, hold up your line too no, much. Hey, but, man. Uh, great call, show. I call really back, brother. It. Call back, all right? I appreciate I it. Man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good all one. Right, bye. Yeah, great stuff from Beeb. Look, for the record, I agree with a lot of what Beeb just said. And the one thing I forgot to ask Beeb, uh, where where would he rate? Beeb, if you're still on, answer this in the chat. Where do you rate Ennis right now? Because there's a difference between eye test, potential, you know, those sorts of things and actual accomplishment. And that's, to me, the thing I've gotten a little frustrated about with people on Twitter and stuff, because now people are comparing them to, again, Michael Thompson compared them to Thomas Hearns, which I think is just not a good comparison because they don't fight the same way. Again, I, again, I think Beeb's point of, and this has a lot of Terrence Crawford in him. I completely agree with that. It just, the way he fights and everything else, I see comparisons there, but he is bigger, younger, and more explosive. He's a bigger version. What Terrence Crawford was at like 35, that's what Ennis is at 47. The question, the one question is, can he catch? You know, we, we'll find that out. But um, people are talking on Twitter, like already this guy should be rated number two or three in the division. Like that's where I'm like, dude, pump the brakes. He's got to prove that first. We can speculate. And I look, I'll put it on record right now. With everything Spence has been through, Recently, the injury, all that. If PBC signed Jerron Ennis tomorrow and they said your first fight's going to be next March in Dallas against Errol Spence, I would bet the fucking bank on Jerron Ennis. Tell him straight out. However, if he was to fight Crawford right now, I would pick Crawford. I think Crawford would beat him by decision. Absolutely. Just in terms of styles, man. Spence's power is really overrated. I know guys that have sparred Spence and Crawford. Sparred both of them and told me Crawford actually hits harder at welterweight than Spence. All right, back to the Fouts. Let's take a couple more, guys. Uh, let's see, 559, you're on the show. What's going on? Hey, Mike, it's, uh, it's me, Miguel, and uh, Sarah. What's up, Miguel and Sarah? How you guys doing? Nothing, just right here. I have got done with some uh, ranch work. And uh, first of all, sorry about my voice, a little raspy. I, uh... <clears throat> Got sick last week, but I'm recovering. Ah, but, uh, I anyway, feel better, man. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the virus. It was more like a, <laughs> a, a allergy infection. I went to. You're not gonna catch it by hearing me. Okay, but, uh, good, anyways, good, good. <laughs> Shout out, shout out to all the other callers for bringing that fire. Oh man, <laughs> this is one of the best uh, shows I've ever heard. Actually, yeah, it's been good calls. Uh, but today. I just wanted to, uh, just wanted to say how are you and Tiff. I uh, hope everything's going good, man. I just and also. Um, I just want to comment on um, basically like a rundown on the whole. Uh, how do we how do we get to Caleb Plant versus Canelo Alvarez for a unification? You know what I mean? That's yeah. me. I, and and it, this has to do with what you were saying about fighters being promoted too. Trip out, look. 
the reason we, we, I mean, you can hate on Canelo all you want, right? And me, realistically, the only thing I talk shit about him is for the steroid use and for um, not wanting to fight Canelo again. I mean, uh, Triple G again. But other than that, I mean, can you really blame these guys? No. For one, you guys got to remember the demographics. Like you say, you know, this guy's a kid from Mexico who's, who, who used to have to beg companies to, do com- to let him do commercials for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, very poor. So, and this guy also, he's one of the few fighters that are out there right now that are from the pre-social uh, media age. Bro, this guy fought Mayweather on pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not streamed. Not a, not a uh, uh, jack on the phone or on the laptop. No, they, they did it on TV. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? One of the last great uh, old-school era pay-per-view fights where you had to earn it. Mm. You know what I mean? You, you you couldn't just hype it up through uh uh through Twitter through the internet, you know, now. Yeah. yeah, social media, whatever you call it. Now, people gotta understand the reason I say is they adapted is because they adapted to the times. You know, um all these guys that don't that don't seemingly don't get enough exposure, you know, I hate to say it, but especially as a fighter, anyone trying to get the name out there, you we're blessed right now with the biggest opportunities in life, especially putting your name out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not hard to, uh, you know, look at, look at, um, the general, the general being a boxing, who gets their name out there more, basically. You know what I mean? It's not about all oh, being on the internet and, and talking shit and hyping it up. No, I'm not talking about that. It's just, I'm saying, use your tools again, uh, use your tools that are with, uh, at your hand, at your disposal for you. You know, yeah, you can sign, you can, you can give an eye test to a guy all he wants and he might be passing him whatever. But if this guy doesn't even have a good personality or, or any hunger to get his name out there, then what do you expect? You know what I mean? Canelo and them, they made every opportunity count after the Mayweather fiasco. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They knew they weren't going to, they knew they probably weren't going to win. But they were like, dude, after this guy, we're going to get recognition and we're going to use it to our advantage. Look who, who, who they fought afterwards. Angulo. About, uh, he was a punching bag by then, bro. You know what do they do? Quarter million pay per views or something like that? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was, what was that, Texas or something? They did a huge crowd when he fought Kirkland. They did yeah. a huge crowd. Yeah. Man, look, when he fought, yeah, 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 did a, guys, yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say is, you know, um, you know, you can, the, the guys that, that don't get recognition right now, I'm sorry to say it, bro. When, I, I'm a realistic guy, I'm a realist. We're living in a rural society right now where you have to communicate. You have to take advantage of these situations, especially if you got if you're able to have a phone in your hand, that should be enough, dude. You know mm. what I mean? Like if this guy doesn't want to sign me, pff, I'm going to this guy. I'm gonna go to their steps and show them what I got. You know what I mean? I but fighters you. don't do that. Now, a lot of fighters are relying and they have to do a lot with the demographics that you brought up. Like you gotta remember, man, a lot of these great fighters are gym rats that don't know nothing else but to listen to the superiors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, that, comes, that comes into play. You know, no one's feelings want to get hurt. But like I tell guys all the time, dude, I only got two fights in, man. I guess the same guy I lost in both. I'm on my comeback right now, whatever, heavyweight. But even then, you know, you got to do certain things that you're not used to doing. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta maybe bug people on the phone. You got to look for different avenues. Maybe you, maybe you want better sparring. You know what? Start talking to these guys on the internet. I can go on the internet right now and show you just how hungry people are. And they're not using it to hype it up or talk shit. No, this goes back to the Canelo thing. They're, they're utilizing it. 
They're yeah. looking for different gyms. They're looking for different opportunities. They're looking for different promoters. They're even trying to stream their own shit. You know what I'm talking about? And you, so like, everybody should be streaming their shit. I, t I talk to club promoters all the time yeah, out here, Miguel, yeah. and I got a couple of them to finally listen. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if it's on Facebook mm -hmm. Live. You should be streaming yeah. everything you do. Everything. I don't care if you're fighting in front of 500 people. Stream it. it that is the yeah, business now. Exactly, dude. I, I tell yeah. people the more the more the merrier because it's going to get viewed over and over. And I thought that, look, yeah. like I say, you got to do personal sacrifices. Maybe you're a fighter that that is that doesn't really like to, uh, to socialize. Well, you know what? That's going to be your downfall. You yeah. know what I mean? What you know, just the, 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 but like I said, like it's going back to when we're leading up to now. When I said, do you really blame Canelo for what he's doing, dude? He, after the whole Triple G thing, I mean, he had a safe face. And I get it. He didn't fight the best opposition. But at the same time, who has Golovkin fought, really? You know what I mean? No, I completely so, agree, Miguel. I, think I, it, I, I understand. I think, I, think, I, think, I think it goes back to this. Look, um, it goes back to what you said. You know, us as fans and fighters alike, you know, if, if we're really, really tired of this, then say something. Speak yeah. the fuck up, you know, stop supporting this crap, you know what I mean? Like, me personally, it's, this is not a pay-per-view, this is not even an undercard, this is going to be a mopping, you know what I mean? A beatdown, yeah. because, solely because this guy has zero experience. Did you watch him make everyone go to sleep against uh, the other Caleb Truak dude, whatever the hell his name was? Yeah. The, uh, the, the guy for the title that he was It's Truax. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. What, what, what is this guy showing? You know, nothing. And I guess, I, I, I guess a guy like Canelo, who not only naturally hits hard, but he's probably on the juice. Dude, you, we know what you're doing this for. It's for money, you know? And, and people ask, oh, well, they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be. You can't even blame Caleb Plant either, dude. Are you going to pass up $5 million fucking dollars to oh, get man. your ass beat? <laughs> Shit, I'll get my ass beat for half a million. <laughs> Hey, Miguel, I got to jump to other calls, brother. I got to jump to other calls, man. Hey, man, God bless you. Thank you for letting me speak my mind, and peace out, man. All right, man. You guys have a good night. All right, we're going to jump over to UK. We got our first UK caller of the night. 777, what's up? You're on the show. How you doing there, Mike? It's Nigel. from Nigel, what's up? How you been, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. Just living life, just chilling, watching some porn, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to uh, listening to some some very good points being made. Very good um, show tonight. Um. I've got to say, with regard to William Cepeda, um, the Nacho raised a point about how Cepeda looked against Hank Lundy. Now, um, I know that Hank Lundy was a last-minute replacement as well. Mm -hmm. There was there was that, so that could you know upset the apple cart with. Cepeda's performance and also I think Cepeda himself make fights as well I mean Hank Lundy being a late, late minute last minute replacement Hank knew you know just to survive just to make it awkward you know what I mean so you can see another payday that's what I think happened and I think with Cepeda if you put him in against someone who's, gonna, who's a bit of a gunslinger that's when he's at his best you put him in against Absolutely. a boxer he's going to struggle because I noticed one thing against him in the Lundy fight he's terrible at cutting off the ring it really is. I'm like, dude, just step to your left, step to your right, and, you know, shut down that, you know, close down that route, you know, and that's what that's what I think there. So I've got to disagree. Much as I respect Nacho, I've got to disagree with him with regards to uh, Cepeda on that one. And um, I agree that Cepeda is 
definitely in line for a title shot. And he's got to get a shot at the Josh next. He's, he's more than earned it. He really, really has, in my eyes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely he's earned it. As much as anybody else in that division. Most definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt. And um, another thing as well, just touching on about to Ennis and what you do next. Well, for me, do not sign the PBC because the reason being, I generally believe those fighters will avoid Ennis at all costs. Mm. I really, really do believe that. It makes sense to put him against Danny Garcia in a fight in, in Philly. It makes sense, but in like typical boxing, if it makes sense, it really fucking happens. So, and I just feel that, um, I mean, even Keith Thurman was pretending not to know who Ennis is, which is total bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that Ennis would wipe the floor with Thurman. He'd wipe the floor with Garcia, you know? Agreed. And so, you know, they're, they're going to avoid him like the plague. Um, it makes I me, mean, I guess, if anything, if he was to say BBC, uh, the PBC, it makes sense maintaining his um, IBF mandatory shot because he'll definitely get a title shot, you know what I mean? Because the IBF don't fuck around, especially after the shenanigans they did in the 80s with the yeah. FBI getting involved and stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? So Absolutely. There is that. But, but I think it would best be best suited as a free agent going between, you know, to like maybe match room and to top rank because PBC, as much as they, they mean, they have put on good, good shows and I want to be fair to them, but um, they don't know how to build a prospect. Top rank do. Yes. Okay. You'll get more exposure on match room. You know, to me, match room with the zone, you know? So there is, there is that as well, you know? So that's, that's what I think Ennis is best, best to do, basically, you know? I don't want him to sign like a five. I know you mentioned about taking a five fight deal. I know just you know, speaking hypothetically, of course, but mm. I, it would be best suited for Ennis not to stick around with the PBC because he needs development. Ortiz had that fight against Kavlihauskas, brilliant development. And it needs that. So, you know, let's pump the brakes on the hype train, like you say, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, it, the, the beating Delorme the way Ennis did is exciting. It gets people talking, but did it teach him anything? Did yeah. he learn anything? Did it develop anything? You got to have those tough exactly. fights, you know? You got to have those tough yeah. fights. Yeah, exactly. Most definitely do. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you've um, come across it or anything. Um, the zone... I've pretty much signed, you know, it's sealed the deal buying BT Sport in the UK. So that's going to be interesting with regards to boxing because BT Sport is with Frank Warren's got this right. deal with them. So let's see interesting developments, see what happens there. We may get to see some good fights, you know? Yeah, yeah. that, that could be some yeah, really exactly. interesting developments over in the UK with some of the fights over there. And I think it's really, really smart business. Look, the zone. Yeah. They had a disastrous 2020, but so did everybody. Uh, maybe they had a worse yeah. 2020 than the rest. But I think they've come back well this year. They haven't had an amazing year, but they're really building something that I think is going to be a global boxing brand. And that's something that yeah. Showtime and and even ESPN can't compete with because, you know, yeah. if, if you're somebody living in Uzbekistan, you can get the uh, zone, I believe so, because they're uh -huh. doing cards over there. Uh, you can't get yeah. Showtime and you know these things. So um, I think that they're building something there for the 21st century. That 10, 20 years from now, mm. we're going to be talking about in a very different way. Yes, 
Yeah, I think so. It's in the long game because we mean we're in the, we're in the play the long game, baby. About the short game and quick games. Yeah. Play the long game. About long. One more thing. I know we've got five minutes. There's one more thing I wanted to raise. Um, okay. Previous call I mentioned about uh, Michaela Mayer against Hamadouche. Right. Okay. I'm in agreement with him. Hamadouche to um, beats Mayer. Okay. Yeah. I think she's a bigger puncher. Maybe I just haven't seen enough fighter. of her. I thought that this was going to be one-way traffic, but we'll find out. Um, so now I'm actually intrigued because a couple of you guys have picked the the French woman. So I'll have to check this out. Yeah, it's just it's just the fact is there's a pressure style, uh, pressure fire, pressure style. She's got mean left hook to the body, evil, evil, mm. left, evil hooks to the body. And the thing is with Maya, she has to be on the toes every minute of every round to keep her off her. I don't think she has it in the gas tank to do it because. Hamadouche will get to and evil intentions in every single punch that Hamadouche throws, man. So okay, that's what I think anyway. Yeah. You are on the record, sir. All right, we're yes, gonna jump sir. to some more yes, callers. Okay, yeah, man. It's been a while, man. But, uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call and uh, yeah, have a good evening, man. You too, Nigel. Good to hear from you, man. Okay, take care, bro. All right, we got. Running, we got to keep it under two hours, guys. So we got seven minutes. So we got to make these, this rapid fire. All right. So we need some quick combinations. Let's jump back to the phones. This is CJ, my man CJ calling from Vegas. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'll keep it short and sweet. I hadn't called into the, uh, the call in a little while, so I figured I'd tap in since I got a little bit of free time on this good Monday. You know, fight week in Vegas. People saying it's the, the biggest fight that came to the city, you know, for the rest of the year. I do want to go back, though, to the fight last week. I know you've had a lot of callers and people bring up, you know, the event over at Mandalay Bay at the Michelob Ultra Event Center. Was it just me or did it seem like you had more people in the chat than was in the actual arena for that fight? If that don't say that PBC sometimes don't put on quality events or it's just like a, a sister partner an event because they got the big fight that's going on out here, but it just, it looks bad on TV. I know they mm-hmm. tried to dim the lights and use all the smoke and all the, the effects to try to make you not notice it, but it, it was pretty light in that arena. So I don't know if you ended up checking that out either. I, I did, but I didn't want to say nothing, but you said it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, you know, it, it is what it is, man. A lot of times they're not going for uh, ticket sales. They got a built-in TV deal or casino deal, whatever it is, and they just stage a fight card, man. That just is what it is. Right. Now, I hadn't seen – I mean, I was out of town over the weekend, and I did get, like, some of those bulletins that was talking about the uh, St. Davis and Roley Romero fight that the more than likely going to pull Roley. Have they found a replacement opponent yet? They were talking about Isaac Cruz, but I haven't seen anything official, no. You think they end up just pulling the card all together, or you think they still gonna go with Tank in December? I, they got to go with Tank in December. They probably have you know built in money already and everything, so I, I think it's gonna go forward. Uh, it's just who do they grab? I, I don't know, man. Um, but they're gonna grab somebody. Because I was considering making the trip when the fight first got announced, especially with it being on a Sunday. You know, in LA is a pretty quick run to get out from over here. Mm-hmm. But you know, to go more so for just the show of seeing, you know. With certain fighters, they do put on a pretty good, you know, ambiance. And, and Staples ain't a bad place to catch a fight, as you well know, from spending many years out there on that part of the country. But if this is going to be a substitute when it was already a tough sell with Roley, I likely that I'm going to keep my butt out this way. Uh, it's unfortunate that that's how some of the last fights going off in December are going to end up happening. 
And then what are your thoughts on Tyrone Davis replacing for the David Benavidez fight? Oh, is that who I didn't know who they got? They got Tyrone Davis. Or Tyrone, I think, is what it actually is. You know, after Tadagi uh, got popped on the, the Lance Armstrong. Yeah, Tyrone yeah. Davis. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I just pulled it up and he's on there. Uh wow, okay. Uh, it's about the same level. He had a draw with Anthony Durrell. He got beat by Patrick Day. Wow, that's right. Uh, Junior Castillo beat him. Yep. Um. So yeah, this is. I mean, it's it's a showcase fight for Benavidez, and it's a last minute replacement. It is what it is. Um, <clears throat> it's about the same level as Uskatagi. Honestly, man. I, I mean. <laughs> I just, you know, it, hopefully Benavidez takes care of business, closes this out soon. Um, you know, it, it's exciting. And then we can get him in there with a, a top opponent next year. I just, I want to see what that guy has, man. But we won't know until he fights somebody. Indeed. And last thing I'll leave you with is it just seems like, in a lot of ways, the Benavidez year has been a year of showcase fights. And this super middleweight supremacy, it started off of the fact of that he got stripped of that WBC belt. And that really kind of set Canelo's sights on actually going for the full-on unification of that division. Unless they throw the biggest bag of money out to Canelo, I can't see him actually getting into the ring with Benavidez. And are the PBC just basically waiting out the string that assuming that Canelo is going to unify all four belts and then start letting them fall back off again and then giving Benavidez a chance to pick some of these other straps back up? Could see that. Could also see them making a huge, huge offer. Hey, man, we can give you Benavidez and then we'll bring Charlo up. You know, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing those two fights, even though they'd both be pay-per-view. But honestly, let, let me ask you, man, if they said – you could do Benavidez Cinco de Mayo weekend, Showtime pay-per-view, and then you got Charlo Mexican Independence Day weekend, Showtime pay-per-view, and they throw the bank at him. Do you think that'd be a possibility or no? I'm going to honestly say no. <laughs> I, if I was going to pay some of the money, I would say that Canelo, besides the fact he's learned a lot from that early fight against Floyd, mm-hmm. he's learned now to pick opponents because at this point, if he unifies the division, He's, quote, done everything that could possibly be done. I could see him getting back over there with Eddie Hearn. I know they had a little bit of falling out with his own, but money talks, and there's still a payday to be made. I think a lot of it will have to do with how Triple G looks against, um, was it, uh, in December. And then basically cast G out, and, you know, Canelo can basically go on his version of fighting, you know, UK bums of the month and kind of finagle his way through a couple of high-profile fights. That Bitter BF fight, it'll be there. If anything, he might want to try to age Bitter BF out a little while longer. And I don't know if he really wants to actually do real work with top rank. And, you know, Uncle Bob ain't going to allow for him to do no one-off kind of fight. He's going to want a couple of fights on there, too. So I'd probably see him going back with Eddie Hearn in matchroom trying to make that G fight and then figure out a couple of the fights along that way. I agree with you, man. G, Bevel, and then, like you said, at the very end, uh, Baturbiev, and then that's it. Um that's yep. probably going to be the order of operations. And then you got Elvney, Avney Yildirim's thrown in there and they'll justify it by saying, you know, this is a mandatory, that's a mandatory. Keep him busy. Now, look, if he fights four times a year, like he says he wants to next year, if, if one of them's G and one of them's Bevel, no complaints from me. No complaints from me. Uh, right. But that's probably the way it's going to go. I agree with you, man. 
right, I'm going to get up off this line because I know you're trying to keep it to under two hours. And those photos and images from wherever he was on top of that mountain will look insane. So I hope uh, you enjoyed yourself out Thanks, there. man. Thank you. Yeah, we're discovering the local area. Have a good one, brother. Talk soon. All right. You too, man. I'll catch you later. All right. All right now. Yeah, uh, me and Tiff, uh, man, I'm sorry, guys. There's a few of you on hold, guys. We're at two hours. I got to keep it under two, man. I'm sorry. We'll do it next week. But we traveled this weekend. We saw a little bit of the mountains here uh, near Atlanta, like two hours away. It was a lot of fun. It was freaking awesome. All right, guys. uh, Enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, we'll do it Friday on my channel, all right? I'll see you guys then. Peace.